Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Come away, oh human child, to the waters in the wild with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can ever understand. I'm Ian Woodworth, and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. Today, we are going to take the first of our steps into planar travel. We discussed planar travel a bit in our deep dive series, and we decided that we were going to take a little bit of time and go a little bit deeper. Today, we are going to be talking about the Feywild. Yeah, I like this, especially when we start talking about planar travel. I mean, it's one of those things that's hinted at, and people try to do it from time to time, but rarely is it covered in depth generally it's almost like a holodeck scene from star trek where you just need a one-off party or scenario or a day or two to kind of change up your thing but these planes really bring a lot to the table they've got a lot of lore you can do a lot of different things with them and starting off the feywild i'm actually kind of really excited because i personally enjoy fairy lore so this is going to be a lot of fun yeah the feywild is one of the closer realms to the material plane and there is a lot of overlap between the two it's one of the echo realms the Feywild and the Shadowfell, where they have roughly the same geographical makeup as the Material Plane. They are just slightly modified versions. So a mountain that exists in the Material Plane will have a counterpart in the Feywild and a counterpart in the Shadowfell in roughly the same place, but it will be a bit different one to the other. Right. So your three Echo Planes, as stated, you have the Feywild, you have the Shadowfell, and then you have the Ethereal Plane. Technically, the Ethereal Plane is one of the transitive planes. Is it? I thought it was one of the Echo Planes. No, it's one of the transitive planes. It allows you to travel between the planes because the Ethereal Plane also connects to the Inner Plane, so the Elemental Planes. If you can find a way to physically enter the ethereal plane, you can pass through another curtain into one of the inner planes. But where the ethereal plane is a direct like one-to-one, so I mean where you go in the material plane is where you'll wind up in the ethereal plane and vice versa. The Feywild and the Shadowfell is not one-to-one, so if you went to a Wendy's and stepped in through a portal door, you wouldn't wind up at the same Wendy's in the Feywild. You could be anywhere in the Feywild. So one, those portals kind of shift. We'll talk about that in a bit. But the idea for the Feywild is all the gods basically took all of the light out of the material plane and condensed it into the Feywild. They took all the shadow and condensed it into the Shadowfell. So a really good example I read was if you came across a mountain lake in the material plane, in the Feywild, it would be a bright crystal shimmering lake, absolutely beautiful, reflective, crystal clear water. In the Shadowfell, it'd be a dark, foggy, swampy bog where the material plane is as it is and then... The Feywild is the lake in its pristine state and the Bogget being in its darkest, coldest state, which is kind of a neat thing. It's not explicit in any of the texts that I've been able to read, but by and large, the Feywild seems to be a place of chaos. Just about anything can happen, depending on where you're at. The Fey themselves are very happy-go-lucky. They're very impulsive, but they do have a very strict set of rules that they follow. It's an odd dichotomy between those two extremes where the Fey act in a very seemingly chaotic manner, but they always have this very strict code that they have to follow. I love that you use the term dichotomy because that is everything about the Feywild. So like you said, it seems like a very crazy, chaotic place. It is, but it's all about extremes. So even the Feywild itself is an extreme on one far end of everything. 
And then you have the different courts. So we'll talk about the Sealy and the Unsealy courts and how they interact. But everything is either going to be roses or complete chaos. And even your roses are going to have a bunch of thorns you have to worry about. I love that it's chaotic, but you have both sides. So everything kind of still falls somewhere in the middle, which is really, really fun. Right. It nets out at zero. But boy, is this an inverse bell curve. Normal is like the last thing you're going to find in the Feywild, which if it looks normal, if it smells normal, if it sounds normal, you can guarantee it's a trap. Absolutely. Do we want to go ahead and get started in talking a little bit about the lore of the Feywild, how it's presented in the game and how it has been presented in game? Yeah, I was actually going to start with that. There's a really good site I found that actually covers the history and lore of the Feywild fairly well. It's called dumpstatadventures.com, and they do a really good covering of the Feywild. I'm actually probably going to reference them later on as we do some of the other planes as well, because they've done a great job with this. But the Feywild, I'm about 3.5 4th edition. This says 4th edition, but I've seen different things in 3rd edition. It was in the 3rd edition manual of the planes, referred to as the Plane of Fairy. Yes, exactly. And the way that they described it is really weird. They call it an outer plane that happened to overlap the material plane. So it's kind of one of the outer planes that got shunted out of its proper position because it used to be part of, I think, Arborea. And they went through a whole bunch of hoops to try and make it fit in the cosmology somewhere. And they muddied the waters more than anything else. That's exactly right. So... I guess your first question you want to get is, how do you even get to the Feywild? Going through with that, this is where things get kind of tricky. You're going to find various portals or things. They call them Fey Crossings. And Fey Crossings, the connections between the Feywild and the Material Plane, they're never really ever stable. They shift and they move place, location, time. So again, as much as everything in the Feywild is very tenuous, so is their connection to the Material Plane. So generally, if you're in a town and there's the lore of people going missing, or maybe there's some old ancient cairn stones or things like that, these are likely going to be portals, just as likely as an old pond could be, or walking through a mushroom circle, or something like that. Often, you're going to find yourself in the Feywild without meaning to. Intending to get to the Feywild is a much trickier proposition. At least early on, you're much more likely to accidentally cross into the Feywild than you are to intentionally cross into the Feywild. It's going to be very difficult until you start getting the higher level magic in order to transition from one plane to another at will. That's about the only time that you're actually going to start getting easy access to the Feywild on your terms. That said, there are a couple ways. So if you're a DM and you need a hook to get your party into the Feywild... It's just as easy for one of your players to run across one of the fae or fairies themselves, and maybe they make a deal or a bargain, possibly they're hired by the fairy to complete a favor. Maybe they get a gift, and that gift can activate a portal some way. Those are about the only ways to intentionally get to the fae wild at lower level. Like Ian says, once you get access to some 7th level spells, or even wish you can use. Those are about the only ways to get there magically. Plane Shift and Gate are the only two spells listed in the DMG for 5th edition that lets you travel from one plane to another at your will. I was using Wish because you can get a lot done with the Wish spell. Well, you, and can, sure you can do anything with the Wish well. spell. Well, anything the DM lets you, yes. But <laughs> the gate spell specifically lets you open a gate to a specific location in another plane, mainly because it's a ninth level spell. 
So a spell that powerful should let you open a doorway to the location of your choice in the plane of your choice. Within a decent amount of accuracy, yeah. That ninth level, that spell should be pretty potent. So once you get into the Feywild, yeah, you've got there. Now things get wonky because there's a lot of different ways things can go. You have your two courts, as we've mentioned before. These are covered a lot in different lore. Jim Butcher and the Dresden File does a really good job. But you have your Seelie and Unseelie courts. Your Seelie courts are going to be your Summer Fae. Everything's going to be very bright. Everything's going to be very pretty, very beautiful. The Seelie courts are about joking and tricks and merriment and fun. Another good version of the Seelie Courts in the Feywild, if you're a fan of Shakespeare, is Midsummer's Night's Dream. So again, there's a lot of beautiful things. It's all about joking and teasing. It's very lighthearted, but not necessarily safe. Oh, absolutely not. Nothing in the Feywild is safe. That is the first lesson that you're going to have to teach your players if you send them into the Feywild, is that nothing in the Feywild is safe. Be very careful with your words. Be extremely careful with your promises and commitments. Going through, if you break a promise to a fairy, then that gives that fairy power over you. If you make a deal with a fairy, generally the way the deals are phrased gives that fairy some power over you. It's like giving a creature your true name. So trying to talk about the Sealy Court. So again, everything's bright. Everything seems vibrant. Here you're going to find, obviously, like your traditional fairies. You're going to see unicorns. You're going to see like that whole magical enchanted forest kind of feel because everything is done in the woods. You're far more likely to gain an audience with a Sealy Court fairy. They're going to listen to you. They might even show interest in helping you. Now that interest in helping you still might be self-serving to them, but they're going to be a little more pliable to your aid and your comfort for whatever reason. Yeah, the Sealy Court is less likely to eat you. Yes, less likely, not unlikely. Again, very important. Yes, it is a very important distinction. It's kind of like the old meme, lawful good does not mean lawful nice when it comes to paladins. They are lawful friendly, they're not lawful nice. Right. And so as we deviate from them, we got to flip the coin and then we get to the unseelie court or the winter court. These are your winter fairies. And so here you're going to deal with more monstrous looking things. They may be beautifully monstrous, but they are still monstrous. Things are going to be cold. Things are going to be very severe. The unseelie fae like to have fun too. The problem is their fun and merriment is at your misfortune. They will put you in a trap. They will throw things in your way just to watch you stumble and try to find your way out. And if it's bad enough that you have to call on them to help you out as a favor, then more so power for them. So again, the winter fay are harsh, like a harsh winter would be. They're not unfair, but they are brutal. Yes, where the summer court focuses more on tact and intrigue, the winter court is more focused on power, as in physical power, power of will, power of mind. It is a very rigid hierarchy that is established by survival of the fittest. Absolutely. And not necessarily just the physically fit, but the quick of mind, the clever, the brave. The people who are not bound to their morals. Right. Both courts do admire bravery. They do admire certain aspects of the human condition, as it were. Granted, we're talking D&D, so it's not necessarily human condition, but it could be, I guess, the heroic condition. So the Unseelie Court is ruled by what they call the Queen of Air and Darkness. And she actually does not have a physical manifestation, but rather a cloud of darkness hovers over her throne room, issuing orders for death, assassination, and torture. So that kind of gives you a really good feel about how the Unseelie Court works. Another good example is something we talked about quite a while ago during our Monster Mash episode. But your green hags are technically fey. 
Well, all hags are technically fae, with the exception of night hags, right. who, who have been subjected to demonic influence and so are now considered fiends, and they are able to pass into the abyss. And that gives you an idea of those hags where they can be really beautiful, but it tends to be illusion. They like to manipulate and twist things just so they can laugh at them or gain power. That gives you a really good bead on how the fairy courts are going to work. Now, most hags exist outside of the courts. Most hags are not actually members of the courts. They are more likely to be members of the winter court than the summer court. And if you find a hag in one of the courts, that hag is probably one of the two or three most powerful people in that room. Yeah, I mean, those hags are going to be way, way up there if they're at the courts. I agree. So that's the summer and winter court. And that's the surface level of the Feywild. And so wizards know you like going on some weird places for adventuring. So they put some weird places in your weird places so you can have some more adventures on your adventure. So where have we not talked about, strangely enough, despite our name this entire time yet, Ian? We have not talked about the Underdark yet. We have not. The Underdark is a very real place in the material plane, and we need to do some episodes there. We do. But because there is an echo of everything in the Feywilds, there is have, an Underdark in the Feywild called the Feydark. Absolutely. And oh boy. Yeah, this is going to be about as fun as you can imagine. So take your best cave dwelling adventure, turn it up to 11, then and shake s- it upside down, flip everything backwards, and now it's 11d1. And snap off the knob. <laughs> oh my. So yeah, the Feydark is a nasty, nasty place for mortals to go. Yeah, don't tread these ground lightly, my friend. As vicious and as savage as the Underdark is, the Feydark even more so. What you're going to find a lot here are the Formian races, which are basically like your giants and your cyclops. The Fomorian. Fomorian, yes. Yes. Formians are the ant people that we talked about a few episodes back. Fomorians are fallen Underdark giants. Right, so these guys are big, they're twisted, they're strong, they're mean because they probably hurt all the time. They've got some pretty wonky base abilities on their own, including their evil eye, which can afflict another creature to have their bodies twisted and deformed, subjected to malice and pain they live with, in some cases even immobilized. So, I mean, that's just an innate spell these things have to walk with. Every single one of them can do that. Just look at you until you hurt. Yeah, and the lore behind the Fomorians is kind of interesting. Apparently, before the sundering of the elves and the elves becoming the diaspora and most of them leaving to the material plane, the proto-elves and the proto-giants coexisted in the Feywild. And then the giants decided that they were going to try and use magic to subjugate the elves. And when the elves rallied with the rest of the denizens of the Feywild and defeated the giants, they were cast into the Feydark and their magic twisted them into the Fomorians that you see. So again, these things can be absolutely vicious. So if you have your characters run in the Feywild and then let's have a cave adventure anyway, you can totally do this. And it's not just a smattering with like a couple hovels. These things have entire cities. So now you've got whole cityscapes down there that you can deal with fortifications. I mean, all kinds of stuff you can do with the Feydark. For just an example of something that you could do, and we're going to get to more of these later on, but I want to get this out while it's fresh in my mind. Say you come across an abandoned drow city in the Underdark, and you walk through just one particular doorway in the Underdark, 
and that doorway happens to be a crossing and you end up in that city's echo in the fey dark let's just say it happens to be a fomorian city that would be nasty that would be extremely nasty i wouldn't put my first level characters into no absolutely not i mean fomorians in themselves are i think a cr9 or a 10 monster yeah Um, i was gonna say if you're hitting level 17 18 19 you're just running out of things to throw at your party maybe one of these yeah (laughs) so you've got your summer court you've got your winter court you've got this dark fey which is plenty but wait there's more If you just want to feel lost, like the old TV show Lost, where you're going to be stuck here and you're probably stuck here forever and the island just well might eat you, the Feywild's got one of those too. This is called the Dread Isle. And I'm going to go ahead and read this straight from the site because I'll chop it up horribly otherwise. There exists somewhere in the Sea of Lords, a domain of coral island is home to treacherous waves, jagged rocks, and mysterious creatures. It's constantly flitting from Feywild to other plains. And many who find themselves on this island may never leave. The island is constantly trying to kill any visitors as its home is the psychic Sioux monsters that reside in treetops. The Sioux monsters watch over the island with a special focus on the Yanti who also live here. So, gay for having a bunch of Yanti, which is just a fun creature to throw in anyway. But not only does this plane get you lost in the Feywild, but this plane will go from the Feywild and transport itself into other planes. So if you really want to get your party good, spun around, and lost, bring them here. Yeah, I can definitely see a middle to high level campaign where you have to get to a certain location, let's say somewhere in the plane of water, and you have done the research and you find out that the place you need to go is right next to where this island shows up whenever it shifts into the plane of water. And so you figure out that the easiest way to go about doing it is to get to the island and then time your leaving that island just right to get off in the plane of water. Oh, that would be so hard. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. Yeah, and not only do you have to time it right, but you also have to fight the island to get off. Absolutely, because as it said, the island's trying to kill you. Now, I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but in America there's always the joke that Pretty much everything in Australia is trying to kill you because of the number of poisonous critters and snakes. And then, you know, the kangaroos are known to kick and punch people. And then you've got the drop bears and you've got the cane toads. Emus and cassowaries, man. Yeah, I mean, everything in Australia wants to kill you. That said, our listeners in Australia, we love you. If we're incorrect that everything in Australia wants to kill you, let us know. Because we'd like to find some allies there if we decide to visit. (laughs) I will say that I visited my sister in Australia And I came back alive. No spider bites, no snake bites. But I was only there for a week, so. (laughs) Fair enough. But much like that, this island is trying to kill you. So everything in the island is designed to bring you low. It's just how the island works. It's what it's going to do. So traps galore, natural hazards galore, wild beasts, whatever other fae you're going to throw in here on top of the Yanti and the Sioux Wizards. Again, this is going to be a very dangerous place to find yourself. The next place, and I wish I knew about this earlier because this makes my geeky heart just kind of flutter. I love lycanthropes. Personally, I think they're really neat. They're really fun. They don't get near enough love. Everything went vampires there, you know, early 2000, and we really needed more lycanthropes. We kind of really needed some more of the Underworld series, etc., But Blackstone Vale is a home of lycanthropes. And so this vale is a forest between the summer courts and the winter courts. And it's completely overrun with lycanthropes. They have fortresses and cities that they've built where there's a constant war. 
But what makes this really interesting is the goddess of the moon lives in the Feywild. And so since everything is crystal, everything's light, the moonlight hits the lycanthropes a lot stronger. And so on that full moon, they don't just change, but they change and go absolutely berserk. And so you've got your lycanthropes at full tilt out here, but organized. You'll have hunting parties because, again, the goddess of the moon is up there and she's the natural enemy of the lycanthropes. So she'll have hunting parties sitting there trying to battle and bring down the lycanthropes whenever they can find them. So now you have deities, you've got fairies, you've got lycanthropes right in the middle ground between your summer and winter courts where there's going to be some skirmishing anyway. So again, a lot of chaos can happen in this little area. And oh my God, I want to run some scenarios in here. Yeah, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. And then as far as locations in Feywild geography, the last area are the Goblin Kingdoms. So unlike in Tolkien where, you know, they lived under the mountains, the goblins also live in the Feywild. And they are separate from the courts, though. If they align with anything, they're going to align a little closer with Winter Court because they tend to be a bit more vicious and savage. So you do have all of your goblinoid races or things like that. They are also going to have a good, strong foothold here in the Feywild. This is where one of my favorite characters from the Dresden File books would come in, which is the Goblin King. Oh, he's amazing. He is absolutely one of my favorites. Yeah, I'll have to agree with you in that. The, the Goblin King's pretty high up on my list. I mean, Butters... Oh, Butters is great. Butters is, like, tied with number one with Mouse, because, oh my god, freaking love Mouse. Mouse and Butters, right there. Yeah, and they even team up from time to time. From time to time. But yeah, absolutely. So again, now you've got some goblin folks. You've got your trolls, your ogres. You've got some giants. So right here with the goblin court, you're probably going to have more overlap as far as things you're going to see. You're going to start seeing some of those Fomorans probably because they're going to be in some of those lower areas, kind of like your dwarves and gnomes are going to be underground and they're going to start having overlap with the underdark. Your goblins and your trolls are going to start having some overlap with your fade arc. And so, again, depending on what the kind of venture you want to run, if you need some ideas, those two tie in really well together. So the other weird, crazy thing with the Feywild, and this is an innate feature of the Feywild, not necessarily other planes, is that it's going to mess with your time. You might have time dilation. You might have time expansion. So you could just as easily walk into the Feywild and step out 10 years in the past, or you might walk into the Feywild and step out 10 years in the future. But you may also step into the Feywild and come back out at almost the same time as you went in. Almost never, depending on how tricky the fairies want to be at any given point, but that almost never happens. So I think one way to kind of picture how time works is towards the end of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when Willy Wonka is talking to Charlie. And he says, most elevators can go up and down, but this elevator can go front ways and back ways and sideways and this ways and that ways. And that's kind of how time works in the Feywild. Right. The only thing is that it never goes backwards. It is still linear. It's just that it's not equidistant intervals of time. Can't, I don't know. I guess it's time dilation. So time's just really. It'll compress great. and it'll expand. expand. But you'll that's never, correct. but you'll never go backwards. That is correct. It still so progresses yes. forward. Laws of relativity, for some reason, still apply in the Feywild. Yes. And when you come out of the Feywild, you have a chance to forget everything that happened in the Feywild. So whenever you come out of the Feywild, you have to roll a wisdom saving throw. I think it's a DC 10. And if you fail on that saving throw, the entire amount of time that you just spent in the Feywild poof, disappears. You can have it restored with a greater restoration spell, but if you were by yourself and you went in this Feywild, and when you came out, you forgot, you would have no one to prompt you that that would be a thing. 
you know, if it was an almost instantaneous thing, there really wouldn't be any issue. But if it was one of those where you went in for three days and it became three years, when you step out, you come out three years later having no inclination of what in the world just happened or that anything did just happen. Those memories can also be something that the Fae may take as payment for favors or for exchanges of things. And it's a really good way for the Fae to protect their secrets too. So if you found any secret informations or bases or maybe some secrets that they necessarily don't want people to know, then it's very much in those interests to make those memories go poof. In the third edition book, the way that they had it the time change still exists in third edition, but in third edition it was for every day spent on the plane of fairy, a week passed in the material plane, and when you came back out, time would catch up. So if you were in the Feywild for a year, when you came back, you would end up aging 365 weeks instantly. So I actually really like what they did in fifth edition where you roll on a table to figure out whether it compresses or it stretches time. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. And again, if you don't want to roll on a table, depending on what you're using the Feywild for, if you're using it for a plot point or something like that, that can always be up to DM's discretion as well. I mean, everything is up to the DM's discretion at the end of the day. But yes, if you want it to progress a specific way for plot purposes, you can absolutely do that. Another weird thing that you could do is let's say your party got into a fight just as they were planning on leaving the Feywild and so they didn't all get through the portal on the same turn you could you could end up having the time move differently for different members of the party oh that would be brutal oh my god I never considered that yeah, because wow. it's it's always in flux. So you could end up leaving, say, two rounds before the fighter. And when the fighter comes through, the fighter ends up rolling minutes or seconds. So he ends up getting it compressed. So he comes back out almost instantly. But you end up having it being the time is one to one. He's got to stay there. For however many hours that you've been in the Feywild waiting outside this portal for you to show up. Okay, I'm evil, but you know what that instantly reminded me of? Okay. Remember that episode of Futurama with the dog? Oh, God. James, why did you have to bring that up? Just the fighter sitting there with his shield just waiting for the cleric to come back. One little tear down like a dusty old white beard. Old man sitting there. He kind of like closes his eyes in a Rip Van Winkle sleep. James, why you do this to me? (laughs) Why? Because chaotic neutral. So now that we have a little bit of an understanding of where we're working, let's talk a little bit about some of the mechanical ways, storyline-wise, on how to get your party from point A to point B, how to get them from the material plane into the Feywild. You're planning to go from point A straight to point B? You're so hopeful. Well, point B is just somewhere in the Feywild. Point B is an abstraction. Oh, I thought you had an actual point B you were going to. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to get there right away. Let's go from point A to range B. That's probably a bit closer, yes. That's a bit closer to what we're going for. So there are a number of ways to do this. The Feywild is a very natural place. It doesn't have a whole lot in the line of manufactured artificial structure. You don't have the Fey imposing order upon the Feywild, mainly because the nature of the Feywild is such that it opposes the imposition of order. 
Right. So like if you're in the summer courts and they're going to have like their city or their citadels, but they're largely going to be made out of trees grown together or somehow woven together. If you're in the Feydark, yes, you are going to come up on a Fomoran city, but it's probably going to be formed with stalactites or stalagmites or literally carved out of the rock. So it's not like they went and they chopped out a bunch of trees and built a bunch of architecture. That kind of stuff's largely going to be out. Right. So what you end up having in the Feywild is a lot of the crossings between the material plane and the Feywild are going to be in places that have a close tie to nature. They're going to be not only in very natural places, but in places of transition. Something like a sudden clearing or pond in the middle of the forest. So if you're going through a thick forest and you come upon this open glade in the middle of the forest, there's a pretty good chance that if you go through that glade, you might end up dropping into the Feywild. Let's just say that a rather large storm comes through and knocks down a bunch of trees and the forest just doesn't grow back up in this open space and it just turns into a meadow sort of look. That would be a good place for a crossing into the Feywild. If there's a pond, diving into the pond, you might resurface in the Feywild. Things of that nature. If you're going through a forest and there's a bunch of very large trees and you're wanting to send someone up the tree to scout out to see where you are in relation to everything else in the forest so you can navigate, climbing up that tree might send you into the Feywild. That would be an interesting scenario. Like, you just climb, you climb, you climb, and you pop out. It would be a very Jack and the Beanstalk sort of situation. I was thinking, like, once you press the canopy, you pop out and everything's different. You come out where the canopy should stop, and instead of it being the top of the tree, it's actually just the forest floor where you left. But you're right. in the Feywild, and so all the colors are brighter, and depending on where in the Feywild you're spitting out, you know, if you're ending up in that borderlands between summer and winter, it could be real nasty <laughs> what oh you come God. up into. In the middle of a full moon, just for funsies. Just for funsies, yeah. But something like a cave behind a waterfall could be a transition into the Feywild. Or just a waterfall in general. If you walk through a waterfall, that waterfall itself could be a passage from the material into the Feywild. So this cave behind a waterfall being a crossing, this could be an interesting way to drop somebody into the Feydark if you wanted to. Oh, yeah, it'd be a hard place to start. But yeah, that would definitely do it. Yeah, I mean, especially if you weren't expecting it. This could be a plot point for a mid to upper level adventure where, you know, you've got these Fomorians that are coming out and raiding the local farms and they don't know where they're coming from. And you're able to track them back to this cave and you find out that you have to actually go through the waterfall into the cave. If you try and go around the waterfall, it's just a cave, but you have to specifically go through the waterfall to get into the cave. And that will send you into the Feydark. Yeah, that would actually be really, really fun. Another fairly clear way to get into the Feydark would be like if you were spelunking or even just doing an Underdark quest and like walked into a crystal cavern type thing. Into a crystal cavern or into one of the Underdark mushroom forests that they have. Oh, yeah. So anything like that typically is going to have some sort of a natural tie to it, a very primal aspect to it. So those would both be really good ways to do it. If you're looking for a portal that would take you into the winter side of fairy, something like an ice cave under a glacier. 
Absolutely, yes. That again, another great one. Or even if you like broke through some ice. Oh yeah, walking over a frozen lake. Yeah, you dro- dropping breaking. through a frozen lake. Yeah, you drop through and you get that initial hit of cold, and you're expecting it to be cold water, and you reflexively inhale, but you don't inhale a bunch of water, and it's just that the air on that side is that cold, and gravity reasserts itself, and you fall prone on this plane of ice in the middle of winter. That would be an amazing adventure start. Oh my god, I can just picture that. I have like this wonderful mental image of going through all that. That's an amazing adventure start. And that would be a deep winter. So that would also be another thing that I would not subject my low-level party to. Because that's where you're going to end up having like frost trolls. You're going to have some frost giants, probably. Well, basically, you can pull most of the monsters from the uh, Rime of the Ice Maiden adventure and drop them in at this point. Maybe tweak them a bit to make them a little more fey, a little more primal, and a little more brutal. And that's the sort of thing that you're going to find here in Deep Winter. So another good series of portals, and this would probably take you to the Blackstone Vale where all the lycanthropes live. But if you were finding some old ruins, like an old ruined tower or castle... Because, again, that Blackstone Vale is full of ruins that the lycanthropes have built up and then torn down because there's constantly a war amongst the lycanthropes and then with the moon deity and her fae as well. Maybe an old shipwreck, maybe an old fortress or an old broken down castle or something like that. You step through, and as you step out, now you're into the Vale. Yeah, and I was actually getting to that. That was the second category of what I had on my list was places that nature has reclaimed. So, like, a standing doorway in an otherwise tumble-down and ruined castle. Because one of the things that is mentioned in the 5th edition DMG is that these places that are natural crossings, the portal can be permanently closed if you dramatically alter the area where the crossing happens on one side or the other. And the example that they give is, if you were to build a castle in the middle of this glade that acts as a crossing into the Feywild, you have dramatically changed one side, and then that crossing becomes closed. But if, say, the castle ends up being abandoned and then reclaimed by nature, then you run the possibility of, because of the natural influence over what was this artificial construct this castle and it's breaking it down and returning it to nature that force of creation that is exerted there would potentially reflect on the Feywild side and so you would end up potentially having that portal reopen so how's this for a plot line your adventure is hired by noble because this lord has built up a castle, and now the castle is quote-unquote haunted. What he didn't realize is he built his castle where a fey portal would have been, and it's broken down that fey portal. And it just happens to be whatever fey or fairy's favorite portal to enter in. So they were bitter, and that's why they're harassing this king. So through whatever means you wind up in the fey wild, you do all your stuff in the fey wild. It takes you however long or however many levels. And when you step out, you step out, but the portal is the old ruins of the castle that nature has reclaimed, and it's just shambles left. Now, one thing that could be fun is the castle is quote-unquote haunted because this archfey that took umbrage with this person building a castle in the middle of this glade and closing the portal has decided to build their own castle on the other side to reopen it. Oh my, yes. And then that noble has to deal with the wrath of a very upset archfey. 
I need to sit down and write this scenario, even maybe a campaign. Yeah, that would be something that would be really cool because then it would start to warp reality on the material plane side because this crossing is reasserting itself. But, I mean, it would be a very natural, very organic sort of structure on the Feywild side. You know, they would be manipulating the natural plant growth and turning it into this sort of palace of trees or if you're on the winter side maybe constructing it from ice kind of like elsa's palace on the mountain in frozen but then as that barrier that is preventing the crossing is starting to break down the fey are starting to be able to cross over and so the fey are going to start interacting with the material plane and they're going to start doing what Faye do, which is cause mischief, sometimes very maliciously. But because they're reflections of one another, the area of that castle would start to shift a little bit as well. So if the crossing does go into winter, like we're saying, maybe the climate in this area starts to get colder. Maybe the winters start getting harsher and longer. Maybe the crops start just mysteriously dying. Maybe it becomes very difficult to raise cattle or the game starts to become thin as more predatory animals, so bears and wolves and big cats, start coming into the area and harassing the livestock. So these are all the sorts of things that you can end up having if you have this conflict between the artificial construct of the material plane and the organic construct of the Feywild. Yeah, I really like that. So what I'm thinking in my head is that your level like one to five would be you'd get there and obviously the area is quote quote haunted or something's going wrong. So you're going through, you might have some will-o'-wisp type things, but you're going to have a lot of wilds and beasts attack. Be a really good area for like druids and rangers to kind of pop up. A lot of natural enemies. And then maybe probably level five, the fey actually start coming into the material plane. So by level seven or eight, you find a way to get into the Feywild, and then you could probably do another five to seven levels in the Feywild, and then pop back out oh, you into could... the material plane after all of that, or have a big push, but still hit, you know, maybe your 12 to 15 through there, back and forth. Oh, you could absolutely start introducing the Fey much earlier than that, because so many of the Fey monsters in 5th edition have such low CRs. The highest CR Fey creatures in the books are... I think the Eladrin, which are a CR ten, and I think because Arthur, because they because they don't stat out the Archfey because the Archfey are supposed to be almost deity level powerful, right? But it kills me that there's nothing in that band in between. You know, you don't have anything in between CR ten and CR thirty. Only there was a homebrew podcast where people could listen to where they could figure out how to stat out a creature. <laughs> Refer to our last two episodes and go and look at some of the cool stuff that they had in 3rd edition, which we're probably going to go into at some point, taking existing 5th edition monsters and scaling them. How to take a CR-10 monster and make a CR-15 monster out of it. But that's going to be way down the road. Yeah, I just looked up Sprite, and a Sprite's only a CR-1 quarter, so I mean, you could start throwing Sprites in fairly early though i would still keep things as quote quote haunted at least for the first couple levels to kind of build up suspense and mystery and then maybe start throwing in some sprites as a hint and a clue and kind of start build up from there 
Yeah, sprites and pixies and nymphs and dryads and all of those. They're all fairly low CR. I think dryads are a bit higher. I think they're CR three or four. And then we can always throw a coven of hags in just as a brute squad. Oh, yeah. Well, you just throw in a coven of hags because it's cool to throw in a coven of hags. That's true, too. But again, if this was a crossing into the winter side of fairy, you would end up getting stuff in the forest like winter wolves. Which, by the way, winter wolves are my favorite beastie ever because they're giant wolves that breathe ice and they're just super cool. Um, Everything the Starks wish they had. They really are. They really are everything the Starks wish they had. Inversely, if you decided to run something like this with the Summer Fae, things are going to get hotter. You're going to deal a lot more with heavy overgrowth. Your Summer Court Fae is a lot more about growth and plant life and sustaining things. So suddenly things would become very jungle-like, kind of like if you go back to like the 50s and 60s, the old Tarzan films, or even some of like the Kipling adaptations where you had to like cut through a path with a machete to get anywhere and start being that kind of thing. And you're still going to get a lot of predators, but you're going to have a lot of more neutral beasts, but still very aggressive, much oversized. So you're probably going to start seeing dire animals instead. Absolutely. And you're going to start getting megaflora. In our region of the United States, kudzu is a big thing. It is an invasive plant. It was brought in by the railroads to grow on banks as ground cover to prevent erosion. And it was also brought in as a grazing plant that grew quickly for cattle. And then they found out that cows don't like to eat it. But kudzu grows everywhere. And once it gets established... It just doesn't stop, and it can grow upwards of a foot a week. It is a very expansive plant. And so these are the sorts of things that are going to start growing up if you have a transition into the summer side. In absolutely prime conditions, you can literally watch the kudzu grow. It grows that fast. Yes, absolutely. Again, I grew up in California. And in California, one of the plants they use as a decorative plant is this really pretty plant. It grows really thick, so it's great in the middle of the highway. It has these wonderful white flowers called oleander. The only problem is it's extremely toxic. Like you don't Absolutely. It, you don't look at it. You don't lick it. What the highway department didn't fully count on is that if a car crashes into the oleander and catches on fire, that smoke is now toxic, too. Yeah, it's nasty. California has decided to start trying to pull out the oleander. Again, it's beautiful. It's decorative. Not the safest thing in the world. So these are the sorts of plants that you're going to end up running into if you end up having this crossing being to the summer side as opposed to the winter side. You're also going to start having things like insect swarms. So you're going to end up having potentially outbreaks of disease. Like we Wait, real quick, I do want to interject one more thing with the horticulture thing because we wound up bringing up a perfect point. Okay. So going through, and like Ian was saying, so these are going to be your summer court plants, but these plants are the epitome of fae. You think they're useful, but they quickly run out of control, but they're beautiful, they're invasive, they're poisonous, they overtake things. I mean, this is the epitome of fae. So another option for a place that nature has reclaimed would be like a flooded or a collapsed mine. So a place where this entire chasm under the earth is completely artificial, but nature has done something to drive the people who would exert their artificial order over it out and has begun to reclaim it. And so again, this would be where you would start having a transition into the fade arc. This could be one of those places like you see every so often in Skyrim where the ceiling of the cave collapsed in and now there is this little grove 
because it was the actual top of the hill collapsing in and now it's open to the sun. So it's almost like this little caldera. And so you've got this little grove growing up in there. That would be a wonderful place to have a transition into fairy. Very much so, yes. And then kind of playing off of the standing doorway and the ruins transition, a town under a lake. So in our region, there were a lot of TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority projects. So a lot of hydroelectric dams were built in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, I think. And so there are lakes around us where there are entire towns under the lake. The town was flooded when the dam was built, and they moved the town, but the buildings are all under there. So whenever they were going through and doing the flooding, there are pictures that I've seen of, I can't remember what town it was, but they flooded the town, and the church in the town, the steeple of the church, still stuck up above the water, so they actually went out in boats and cut the top of the steeple off. So that it wouldn't stick up out of the water. Oh, that would piss off so many different things in a campaign. Like, that would be such a terrible idea. Yeah. So one of these towns would definitely be a good candidate for a transition. This is probably where you get to that dread isle that moves. Because, again, you're kind of underwaterish, and it moves from the water plane to the fae to other planes. Oh, yes. Underwater shipwreck would also be a good portal for that as well. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a pretty good one. But I can definitely see you have a town where uh, there is a well-to-do noble and his mansion is under this lake. And if you were to swim down and swim through the doorway, you would end up not in the house under the lake, but actually in the front parlor of an archfey. I can see that. So you know how we talked earlier about having to step through a waterfall to get to the fey dark into a cave? This would be like the exact opposite. So you're swimming, you swim through a doorway, and you just step through a wall of water. Yeah, you'd step out through through a waterfall in the Feywild. Yeah, that would actually be a really good way to do that. And so that would give us our first two, you know, just natural crossings, places that nature has reclaimed. And then you would have places that are actually built and structured to act as portals. So they could be naturally occurring or they could be constructed. So things like your traditional fairy ring of mushrooms, things like your stone hinges, so like actual Stonehenge or any of the other number of hinges that dot the world, any of those could be places where the power is focused to facilitate a portal. They generally are places where they would have established that there is a connection here and they built this structure here to amplify that to be able to try and control that better to make it a little more on demand and a little less at the whim of whatever the trigger happens to be right so that's good you have the traditional like the irish and scottish cairns like the big stone piles that aren't quite hinges sometimes what people will consider holy ground or sacred ground that's not necessarily devoted to a deity but just it has that property so if you're a fan of emperor's new groove where he talks about the mountains just kind of sing again that would be a natural if they built something up there because it had a property to it that could very easily become a constructed portal way as well absolutely i'll have to see if i can find the image again there's an image of a monastery in china where it's these two towers on top of this monolith of rock and the prevailing i don't want to call it superstition because it was an actual religious practice but the common practice of the time was the higher the elevation of your temple the closer it was to the heavens and the more important it was 
and the more powerful the connection that you would get to the heavens would be. And so this stone, this monolith, it's a very inconvenient place to be, but it had that cultural and religious significance. And so that's where they put the temples. And so these are the sorts of places that would have a structure like this that would potentially be set up as a portal to the Feywild. So something kind of like the Temple of the Dalai Lama, where it's just way, way up in the Himalaya Mountains, and it's like way up there. Yeah, that would yeah. that would also be a good example. Now, I've read something as well. I forget where I read it, but someone was trying to figure out a way to picture the transition between the planes, and they brought up Avatar The Last Airbender. And that's a very Eastern way of picturing it. So again, those sacred shines, those sites, they tend to be either like very high up or kind of out of the way. But like I said, those shrines tend to almost become holy ground sites. So again, those are the kind of things that people start gravitating towards because, well, honestly, if there's a fey presence, you're either thinking there's deity or there's fey, but there's definitely something special going on there. And then you end up being able to ask yourself the question, was this built because there was a fey presence or is there a fey presence because this was built? Was it construction of this henge that acts as a conduit between the material and the Feywild centered around an existing crossing or... Was it able to coalesce and draw in enough power to create a crossing? Those are the sorts of things that you can start getting into with that. And that can be a lot of fun. Anytime you can throw philosophy in the game, role play, or ingenuity, those are like my three favorite things to do at a table. And so the one last thing that I wanted to put into this category would be druid groves. Because, oh. because the natural magic of druids just melds so well with the Feywild because the Feywild is nature embodied to its extremes. And so I would see this, there would definitely be a way in a notable Druid's Grove. It may be limited to certain phases of the moon. It could be limited to certain other times or events, but there would be a way to transition from that Druid's Grove into the Feywild. On the equinox, equinox solstice, on the solstice during an, during an eclipse, perfect, yeah, things like that. But I would also say that it could become just a natural transitional crossing if, for some reason, that druid grove is abandoned. If for some reason the druids have to abandon this grove, or if, say, the population just dwindles and dies off, and this grove has no one to tend it, the latent natural magic in this grove would end up melding it to a point where it would just become a natural crossing into the Feywild for whoever happened to pass through it. Oh, absolutely. And there would undoubtedly be sprites and other things and dryads tending that grove. Oh, there there would totally... uh, Dryads would totally... Dryads and treants would totally be taking over this grove. Because because of the concentration of natural magical power here, those would be the sorts of entities that would be drawn to it. And so if the druids aren't there tending it, somebody is going to. Okay, another scenario idea, because that's what we're doing today. Archdruid has a large grove. He is said Archdruid because he made a deal with an Archfey and then double-crossed the Fey. So now the Fey is warring with the Druid over his grove. Yeah. Or her grove. That would do it, yeah. Because there's a broken promise, there's already magical energy all over the place. They're going to want power one way or another, and they thought they were scammed out of that. So yeah, that could be a lot of fun. So now we've talked a bit about where these portals are going to be, where you can put these portals. Now let's talk about how you can open them or how you can activate them. Some of your portals are going to be 
what I'm calling time locked. So they'll only be open for certain amounts of time at certain periods of time. That's what we're talking about, like a solstice or an eclipse with the George Grove. Right. So they could be open on certain days of the year on an equinox or on a solstice. They could be open on specific days. So if your world has a parallel to Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, that could be a day that the portals are open. They could be open when the moon is full. They could be open when the moon is new. They could open at dawn or at dusk. You know, whenever the sun first comes up or the sun just goes down. Still waiting. What are you going for? You're the one with the Shakespearean insult today calendar, and you've not mentioned Midsummer's Night Eve yet. Well, Midsummer is... Yeah, but, I mean, you specifically, I mean, need Midsummer's Night Eve. Come on, it's Shakespeare, it's fairies, you've got a Shakespearean insult today thing going on your Twitter. (laughs) Gotta go with it. I'm sorry that I've already said equinoxes and solstices, and... With everything else and don't have fun. Man. You can tell that James is summer court and I'm winter court. <laughs> I think you'd be the only person who'd ever classify me as summer court, but yeah, that's probably correct. In our interactions, yes. Because your, your shenanigans don't result in people getting hurt. To quote one of my favorites, and I read this when I was in, I think I had to read it in seventh grade, but Sleepy Hollow. When they talk about Brom Bones, the quote that always stuck with me was, there's no malice in his mischief. So he caused all kinds of problems, but it was never cruel or outright mean. And that to me, I do enjoy a fair amount of shenanigans, but it's always just to make people stop and break them out of their rut because they see the same thing every day. And I hate that. So that would deal with some of the time-locked ones, where it opens at a specific time. And actually, I really like the concept of portals that open specifically at dawn and specifically at dusk. Like, on that instant of transition between day and night. I like that idea. I would take it one step further. The same portal, but at dawn opens to the summer court and at dusk would open to the winter court. Yeah. So the next thing after time-locked would be what I'm calling situational portals. So you have to perform a certain number of things in a certain sequence in order to get in. You might have to go through a certain pattern in order to transition through the crossing. Going back to our ruined castle in the forest, you might have to enter through a portion of the wall that is not a door and then exit the ruins through the door in order to cross over. And if you exit, you end up on the doorstep of the Archfey who built their castle on the other side. Yeah, that makes sense. I would call these ritual portals almost, where you have to do certain things or provide certain material or a certain time or step or something like that. But there's a definite series of steps that has to occur. Absolutely. Ritual would be a perfect word for that. So another thing, you might have to actually perform the ritual to get the attention of an entity on the Feywild side to have them physically open the portal. So it could be that this is a connection where a portal exists, but it gets turned on and off from the Feywild side. And so you have to get the attention of the Fey entity and then convince that entity to open the portal to let you through. Yeah, I like that. So you might have to have a specific item, say... If you have done a favor for an archfey or for some higher ranking fey in one of the courts and you got an item that acts basically as a key to open this portal. So you would be able to open this portal on the material plane side at will using this key 
And there would definitely be certain restrictions and certain rules involved with using it. Say, maybe you're the only one that can come through the doorway when you use that key. And if you bring someone through with you, that would be a breaking of the contract. Or, you know, the people that you bring through with you are your responsibility and you are responsible for any misdeeds that they do while in ferry. Oh, I like that. Another really interesting way to do that would be if you're at a wizard keep in an old library or somehow you actually found out a fae's true name and therefore you could summon them and ask them for a favor or help or something like that along those lines would also be a good way to satisfy that ritual portal type issue. Absolutely. And that's more where you're going to get these contracts where like you can come across and if you bring anyone else, you're responsible for them. Yes. This brings us up to a very important part about when you're with the fae. The old rules are the old rules, and they are as firm as stone. You don't break your promises. Guest right is a massive thing. The phase, if they're hosting, are obligated to be a polite and graceful host, just as you are equally obligated to be a polite and graceful guest. And if either one crosses those lines, and they're fae, so they are looking for the slightest, most insignificant breach, so they can claim a reason to breach their aid and take whatever vengeance or exact whatever toll they can. Absolutely, yes. Because that is the nature of the Fae. That is why Fae are so dangerous, because they are always conniving. They are always looking for that opportunity to take advantage. They are the used car salesmen of D&D. Absolutely. There is a term I like to use in real life called Fae Truth. I'm sure there's a much more eloquent term for it, but... You know, it's the whole thing. You're technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. So by the word, everything was great. If you went to a fae and said, I'm being chased by a 12-foot bear, will you help me kill this bear? The fae will promise, yes, I will help you kill this bear. The bear's going to come up and eat you, and after it eats you, it chokes and dies. The fae has kept its word. It helped you kill the bear. Yes, you did not specify when the bear would die. Or how. Or that you would survive. Exactly. So, again, this is a very important thing. Iron is an anathema to Fae. They hate iron. It weakens them. It hurts them. They can't cross things made of iron. So, very likely, they will not want you bringing iron into their realm. Right. And that is something that you can choose to homebrew out if you want. I would recommend against that. I mean, Fae don't have the cold iron weaknesses that they did in 3rd edition. That has been removed for simplicity's sake. But in lore, Fae have an aversion to iron. And so this is something that can lead to conflict. So if you're going to be a guest in an Archfae's domain, it would probably be considered good taste to not bring iron into their home. Right. Another tricky thing that can happen with Fae, because again, as a guest, you are expected to be a good and polite guest. So something like a Bacchanalia could happen where you're not necessarily trapped because you're stuck and you're enchanted by the food, which would be good. But a fae could lay out a huge table. And if you pick up something, now maybe you've accepted a dinner invitation or something like that. But that dinner's going to take four days long as courses keep coming out. You're going to have to sit there. And if you leave early, you're insulting your host. So you can't just get up and excuse yourself from the table and leave. You have to stay there. So like if you're on the time limit or something like that, you'd have to figure out a way to politely excuse yourself so you could somehow sneak out without offending your host. And if you were to leave and offend your host, then you end up in obligation to them. And then they can demand things of you that you are required to fulfill. 
because that is the magic of the Feywild. If you break your oath or your word to something in the Feywild, because part of the natural magic of the Feywild, it now has a small to significant amount of control and power over you. So it could be something as simple as they can cast command spell at will to suggestion to you're their puppet and you're on their strings, depending on how you want to DM that. Yeah, that could end up going a whole lot of different ways. Most likely, I would probably run it as the Gaius spell, where you have a compulsion to do something specific and you take damage if you don't act to fulfill that or if you act against the interests of that. Yeah, that would fit perfectly. And again, at the DM. But yeah, so this kind of compulsion or this kind of power isn't something that the entire party needs to know about. So this is one of those times where you could slip a note to a player as a DM. Depending on how wonky or how much fun you want to have, you could have different people with opposing compulsions or fae that have opposing goals. And so with that compulsion against each other, how they're going to work that out in the party. And that would be up to the players to try to figure out and work out on their own if they didn't tell people and had to try to keep it hush-hush secret. Right. And then they would have to figure out the letter of the law. So how they could fulfill this in a way that is least detrimental to them. What's that name of the subreddit? What is it? Spiteful adherence? Spiteful? Willful? Oh, there's a perfect term for it. I can't think of it right now. Let me see if I can Google that real quick. While you're doing that, I'm going to continue on. So you could also end up having someone having a portal where you would have to have someone who has a tie to a powerful fey in order to get in. So someone like an archfey pacted warlock. You know, you need to get through. And so the warlock is able to contact their patron and get the party through using their connection to the archfey. That would be a great way to do that. And the term I was looking for was malicious compliance. That is everything the fey is about. And it's probably the same rules you want to use against the fey if you're ever up against them. You just have to make sure that your malicious compliance is actual compliance, because if it isn't, they'll call you on it. And then the last category after time locked and ritual would be the ones that are permanently open, but guarded. So they could have any number of guardians in place to keep people from just wandering in. So if it's a portal that goes to summer, it could be things like centaurs or dryads and treants or unicorns. Or any of these, I hate to use the word friendlier, but the more mythic fey. And then a portal that would open into winter would have something like a hag coven, or ogres, or giants, or trolls, or maybe something like redcaps. Some, oh, sort, of, some sort of nasty, malicious fey guarding it that you would actually have to overcome. Hags, a little less so. Hags you could bargain with. Hags live to bargain, to make deals. So you'd be able to negotiate with a hag to gain That's a passage. good way to start trouble early. Let's start bargaining before we even step foot into Fae. Oh yes. my. Yeah, you have to make a bargain with a hag in order to even get into the Fae Wild. Yeah. That's like playing 21 just to step into the casino. <laughs> right? And then for either group, having Eladrin as the guardians. So you would end up probably having Winter Eladrin for Winter Court, Summer Eladrin for Summer Court. But this realm in between, where the Lycanthropes are, where Blackstone Vale is, that's where you would end up having things like the Spring and Fall Eladrin. The ones that fall between, you could end up having a coven of Archfey Pacted Warlocks. You might just have a pack of Lycanthropes. Yeah. I could see that real easy. And even beyond that, you might not even have any creatures there at all. 
It could just be a series of illusions and charms and magical traps that are intended to redirect you away from it or to lull you to sleep until the moon goes down and then the portal closes and you can get up and walk away or, you know, puts you into a labyrinth of trees and you get lost in the forest until you starve to death. These are the sorts of things that, while they are not actual entities, could very easily act as a guardian to turn away those who would not be able to survive in the Feywild. The unworthy, if you will. So, I have to bring up something horrible. Okay. If you've ever seen or read the Hellraiser series by Clive Barker, the Lament Configurations, the Puzzle Cubes, they were meant for different things, and in the books there's actually several different of these Lament Configurations. But what I absolutely love about these things, which absolutely fascinates on me about them, is they had two prerequisites before you can open these things, because if you opened up this cube or solved the puzzle, then you open this gateway and a bunch of horrible stuff happened, and bad things in general. I mean, the movie's called Hellraiser, we can go along from there. But you had to have two very important things. One, you had to have an innate curiosity to try to figure out the puzzle. And two, you had to have the intellect to be able to solve the puzzle. So it wasn't like it was going to grab a complete innocent, but it wasn't like you could sit there and stumble upon this thing and drop it and accidentally open up this portal and let all these creatures in. You had to intend to do it, and you had to figure it out. And so... I think those are two really good barriers for a portal like that. So these puzzle configurations for these permanent fate portals are kind of the same thing. You'd have to search them out. You'd have to figure out a way to get through. So by going here, you are showing your willingness to step forward. And it wasn't like, oops, I tripped. You can't say, I didn't mean to, sorry. So once you get in through one of these puzzles, you've already showed a commitment. Yeah. So your curiosity is you're seeking out this portal and then your intelligence is you're demonstrating that you're capable of overcoming all of these obstacles that stand between you and this portal. Yeah, that's a very good parallel. So now that we've talked about portals a bit, what I wanted to do is focus on what sort of classes you really want to try and draw the Feywild experience into your campaign world if you're running with these classes. So obviously the Archfey Warlock, it's already been mentioned so far. The Archfey Warlock, by its very nature, has a connection to one of the most powerful entities in the Feywild. That's where they're drawing their power from, and that patron is going to demand things of the Warlock in return for the power that they're being given. And so having them drawn into the Feywild would be a way to have the patron extract their pound of flesh, if you will. And I think that this would be a really great thing for once every two to three levels or so, the party is just walking along through the corridors of this dungeon. They round a corner and they find themselves standing in the patron's palace. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, the, or pa- even the patron just decides... Levels, the warlock goes poof. Was that? Every two or three levels, the warlock goes poof for a time. Right, and this could be something where the warlock disappears on their own. So if you have a game where one of your friends can't make it to every session, this is a perfect class for them because whenever they're not able to show up, oh, their patron just called them off for a favor. Yeah, that's a perfect way to do that. That is a beautiful... I didn't really even think of that until we just started talking about that. But yeah, if you have someone that can't commit to like a weekly scenario or be there for every session, or for whatever reason, life tends to frequently interrupt... This class is made for that person. Absolutely. But once you get past that first obvious choice, there's a couple of druid subclasses that would really work well with going into the Feywild. First off being the Circle of Dreams, because they specifically draw their power from the Summer Court. 
And so yeah. this is your Midsummer Night's Dream druid. This is Puck. So they would be having to go into the summer side periodically. They would have very close access to the summer side. They would be able to open the portal in their druid grove to go into the summer side of fairy. The other option would be Circle of the Moon Druid. Because they rely heavily on their wild shape, it is very closely related to the sort of shape-shifting that you end up with lycanthropy. And so this central area of the Feywild where the goddess of the moon resides... That would be the sort of area where the moon druids would be able to open portals to pass through. A druid of the moon would be able to open a portal to the goddess of the moon? No. Yeah, funny how that works. That's a beautiful, again, another beautiful fit. Another one, the Fey Wanderer Ranger. This is one of the newer ones from Tasha's Cauldron. Their whole thing as being a Fey Wanderer Ranger is they managed to make it into the Feywild and they did something to become obligated to an archfey. Whether they asked for a favor, whether they ate food in fairy, which, as we talked about in our hospitality, you can ask for water. And I think, is it bread and water? Generally, yeah, it's considered bread and water. Yeah, under guest right, whenever you arrive as the guest, you are allowed to ask for bread and water, and they, as the host, are obligated to give that to you. But anything else has strings attached. So maybe this ranger passed through and they picked an apple off of a tree and ate it. And then this archfey shows up and says, that's my tree. That was my apple. Now you belong to me. And now I have this power over you. So that is hard boiled into the mechanics of the Fey Wanderer Ranger. And so if you have a Fey Wanderer Ranger, you want to incorporate aspects of going into the Feywild because it's so integral to the subclass. That is something that you want to incorporate in order for that player to get the most mileage out of their character. Yeah, and that gave me a great idea for like an RP scenario, but you have that Fey Wanderer Ranger. And because of something like that, maybe like you said, he picked an apple from a tree or ate some sort of wild berry and pissed off said Fey. Now in the material plane, he definitely has a phobia and an aversion to wild fruit and vegetables so he won't eat any kind of wild food or maybe he won't eat fruits and vegetables in general but he only eats meat meat and potatoes kind of guy yeah and this could be an interesting thing where maybe in your world you have to find a fey wanderer if you want to get into the fey wild because only a fey wanderer would be able to find the transition points i would definitely know those points yeah yeah so that's another one and this last one that i've got is it's a little bit different but it plays into the turn it up to 11 aspect of the Feywild, which would be wild magic sorcerers and the new Path of Wild Magic Barbarians. Oh, those would both be great. Especially since in the older versions, in the third edition version of the Feywild, one of the traits of the Plane of Fairy was that it enhanced arcane magic. So to read from the third edition Manual of the Planes, the Plane of Fairy is highly magical, and all arcane spells cast there are maximized, empowered, and extended, as if prepared or cast with the appropriate feats. The fair folk do not care much for the pious of any faith, so divine magic is unaffected. So, in 3rd edition Feywild, if you cast an arcane spell, it automatically did max damage. It automatically hit as hard as it could. And it automatically lasted as long as possible. So it really did take that magic and crank it up to 11. 
And when you pair that with a wild magic sorcerer who has this wild magic surge going on, so their magic is arcane, but it's also very unpredictable. It's very malleable. And so you combine those two. And, I love it. And you have the perfect... And, and maybe you can homebrew it so where whenever their wild magic surge happens, rather than rolling on the table, it opens a rift and pulls the party into the Feywild. Yeah, that would be actually really cool. And that gives me a wonderful idea. Six words that'll make your blood run cold. Spellweaver in the Feywild. Ooh. Well, technically that's five because Feywild's all one word, but... Uh, is it one word? I, yeah. I also forgot them too. Okay, so five words, but still. Oh, yeah. Because I... again, weavers are found in all planes. They're everywhere. They're hidden, but they're everywhere. Yeah. And if you were playing with the third edition maximized arcane rules, yeah, that would get real nasty real quick. You would not want to fight a Spellweaver in the Feywild. There is one more really good fit, I think, for the Fey that I think you, you missed over because you said Wild Magic Sorcerer was your last one, correct? Yeah. So if you've got something, go ahead, please. A College of Lore Bard. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, or actually a College of Glamour Bard would probably be a little more appropriate. Either one. I was thinking College of Lore because they're going to know all of the local myths and legends. They're going to come up with names. They're going to know the stories. Again, most of your bards tend to be inclined towards music and playing anyway and performance. Right. Also some very strong fairy traits. So, yeah. you know, finding a fairy for more knowledge or more ability or both. And if you wanted to find the true name of a fae, a, they would a, a lore bard would be the person to go to. Right. If you wanted to find hints of where a portal might be or had been rumored to be, they would probably know it as well. Yeah, that would also be a really good one. All right. I think I'm done with with what I've got today. This was a whole lot of fun. I hope that you guys listening got as many ideas listening to us as we got just talking about this today. This was incredibly, incredibly fun. And after this, I really need to go back and watch Pan's Labyrinth now. So our next one of these episodes is going to be on the Shadowfell, being the other Echo Realm of the Material Plane. So it's going to be much more grimdark than what we're covering today. But buckle up and bring some popcorn. Yes, buckle up and bring some popcorn. I believe... Our next episode is actually going to be, we are working with Rob, Chris, and Daniel over at the World Build With Us podcast. And so tomorrow we are going to be on their podcast for the first part of a two-part crossover event. So we're going to be going over there and we're going to be building a world with them. And then next week they're coming over here with us and we're going to build out a scenario within the world that we create over there. So if you would follow us on social media, we'll throw out the appropriate links whenever they become available. Go over, check out their stuff. They're on Twitter at Let's World Build. And they've got some really great stuff that they do. And we're really excited to be working with them. Very much so, yeah. So that's going to be what next week is going to be. And then after that, we're going to pick back up on these episodes with the Shadowfell and keep progressing through the planes. So if you enjoyed what you heard today, or if you have a suggestion on what you would like to hear, please drop us an email, undercommontaste at gmail.com, or send us a direct message through Twitter, at UCT Homebrew. We are also on Facebook and Instagram. I am still doing my Shakespearean Insult Page A Day Calendar-inspired RP prompts that James so brusquely referenced <laughs> a little bit ago. You love it. 
I did. I did. So I'm doing those six days a week. They're going up on the Twitter account and they're also getting cross-posted to the Facebook and Instagram. Our write-ups have moved from Fridays to Mondays just to give me a little bit more time because the turnaround was getting a bit much. So I am giving myself a little bit of a buffer to get a lot of you some better content, some better quality content. You can find our podcast wherever you find podcasts. Again, leave us a review or comments and a rating. Also, in preparation, I would highly suggest check out the World Build With Us podcast as well. I know they can be found on Podbean and Spotify, but give them a listen because they've got a great show. I know they were one of the podcasts that really inspired Ian to make a podcast of his own. So again, this is uh, really exciting that we've got this coming up. Yeah, I'm, I definitely fanboyed whenever Rob sent me a message and said, hey, let me know if you want to do a collab. And so I'm super stoked about this. But that said, thank you for listening. And we'll see you again next week with World Build With Us. Happy gaming. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. If you enjoyed what you heard, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, suggestions, or ideas, you can email them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts and we would greatly appreciate any likes, ratings, and comments you could provide. Find us on social media. We're at Undercommon Taste on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and on Twitter at the handle at UCT Homebrew. If you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash undercommontaste. Our theme is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find her online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Thanks again for listening, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.